You are now tuned into the Wake the Flock Up Network. Welcome back to the show. You are now experiencing Wake the Flock Up with Concept 714. Thank you guys for joining us on another Tuesday night or Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this, you know. Uh, before I introduce my guest, of course, you can uh, wear an iHeartRadio show. So you go to iHeart on your app, your phone app, type in Wake the Flock Up, and you'll get to hear every single episode we've ever made. So shout out to iHeart for that. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, anywhere you can hear a podcast, you're going to find Wake the Flock Up. Instagram, Facebook, you know, all that good stuff. We're everywhere. We're doing our thing. Stick around. Um, By the time you hear this, I think we'll already have the Atmosphere interview out. So make sure you go to wakeflock.net. You check that out. Um, and then, uh, you know, download it, spread the word. It was, um, it was a phone interview with Slug. And usually you try to keep phone interviews shorter because you don't have that presence of sitting down with somebody one-on-one. But look, you know, it was so good that we were able to do over an hour just talking on the phone, two strangers, you know, but it worked out really beautiful. And people that know me, people that follow the show, you know, that slug is like my top three. You know, I grew up on slug and uh, I can definitely give them all credit for raising me and showing me the right way. You know, no dad, no brothers or nothing. So it was MCs that I turned to slug, Pac, cannabis, Chino, those cats that raised me. So. It's a real blessing to be able to sit down and, and talk to them, you know? So make sure you guys go to wakeflock.net, you check us out. Um, and check out all the other episodes we have. Planet Asia, DJ Revolution, Acrobatic. Coming up, we hopefully, well, coming up for sure, we got Pause One coming back on the show. Go check out the, the Raskaz interview we just finished doing. It looks like we're going to sit down with Merce coming up soon. But our guest for tonight is someone that I follow for a very long time as well. A man of legendary skills and a, and a man that has rightfully so created uh, an atmosphere around yourself you know we're here, sitting here with supernatural peace peace world how's everybody doing tonight superman the building thank you for joining us i'll wait to flock up i you followed I mean? you I, I i bugged you a couple times now i don't i wasn't sure even you bugging were... me it was you doing business this is this is what you do <laughs> i was doing uh uh the the just 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 deserves you know like following through going and getting it and seeing you slapping hands and like hey if you're ever interested come through come through but we finally made it happen i always like to support yeah. brothers that's trying to do something to keep the the culture alive and, yeah. and you know give a conduit to people to uh be able to hear and and feel and and connect with the mcs they love so when you asked me to do it it was an automatic oh yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't uh it was fine it's just finding the right time to do it Excuse That's me. all. There wasn't politics or anything involved. It was just let me find the right time to find to set it up, come through, and we made it happen. Yes, I'm here. Yeah, you are. Uh, see, I, I want to have a couple of things that I want to touch base on with you, but I want to I want to get to know you first. Absolutely, that's what I'm here for tonight. You know, to to, to kind of get a little bit personal and let people know a little bit more than what they probably know tonight. So, so. where does Super Nat get his start? Where are we from? Um. 
the origins of Supernatural. Um, I was born in a place called Marion, Indiana in 1970. You know, I'm an OG. I got some numbers on the board. Um, I grew up in a small town, very uh, racially torn, you know, very uh, prejudiced, you know. But in the same breath, you know, there was a lot of black people there. And um, hip-hop touched me at a young age. I would say I was probably about 13 years old. My mother brought the record, Rapper's Delight, home one day. It was their record. It wasn't my record. It was just part of the collection of everything else that was in the house. And um, when they would go to work at night, you know, I'd listen to that record. So that was kind of like the birthplace of of Supernat. And then I moved to New York later on as, you know, of course, as I got older. How do you remember your parents um, digesting hip hop? Because uh, I'm sure they must, you know, hip hop was a new thing by the time they got the record. What did you was there any kind of like friction about it? How no, did they receive it? No, not it? at all. My mother's my mother's young, you know, my mother my mother had me young, so you know, we kinda grew up together. So like I said, that was a record that they bought. They didn't buy that for me. <laughs> you know, I didn't even I had no clue yet. You right, know, they right. I, I grew up on funk, soul, super jazz music, you know, those were the records that was played in the house. So um, there was never any friction when it came to hip hop. It was actually like an easy evolution for me because I remember going to my grandmother's house and she used to have a stereo that was out on the porch that she didn't use anymore. And they had a bunch of records under the stereo. And um, I remember finding a Blowflies record in there. This is even before Rapper's Delight. Now, that's something that I possibly could have got my ass whipped for listening to you know that young i was probably yeah, about 10 yeah, or 11 yeah, then yeah and that was my first concept of like talking or, or rhyming over music you know so it was never any friction when it came to that in our house like we lived in a very musical household so i think that lended to where i am so the today. ingredients of hip-hop were always just around you to begin with well the so ingredients jazz, of soul, soul music yeah that everything stuff, right? that would later become some of the greatest chops and samples in the world I heard first, you know, and I remember um, hearing uh, Nautilus by uh, Bob James. And I just remember what that did to me. And then there was another one um, called Knucklehead, I think by Grover Washington Jr. And these were the songs that later on in life went on to be like big samples, you know, and big records. So, yeah, I grew up with... Um, pretty much every kind of music that I could imagine. Plus, I was kind of a different type of kid, too. Even when the record player wasn't playing, I always had a radio. So I found myself listening to a little bit of everything. Like, my mind was trained for that. Like, even, like, classic rock music and old rock music. I listened to all of that, so. Do you remember the time that you made your first attempt at hip-hop? Absolutely. I mean, my first attempt would have to be, I always tell the story, you know, in conjunction with that whole Rapper's Delight thing, is that I had learned um, all the words to the Rapper's Delight. And then like any kids, you get bored with that. The 15 minute version of it, Rapper's Delight? It probably you, was. I, I knew every <laughs> word at that. I probably couldn't say it all now. Right, If right. you ask me, but... Then, of course, it was just like, you know, it was infectious to know something like that. 
And then one day, I don't know, something clicked in my head and I turned that record over and there was an instrumental on the other side. And just like most kids do, we mimic what we hear mm-hmm. or what we see. Mm-hmm. So I started to mimic what I heard. Little did I know that I was developing myself into being what would later be, you know, revered as as, as freestyle MC. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know that one day I would meet the guy that was on the record, you know, or the dudes that wrote the rhymes on the record. I never would have thought in a million years that would have happened, but... That was my first attempt. Right, right. If you want to, to answer your question. Was there any earlier indications that your mind was lent to freestyling, like as a kid? I was a gifted child. Okay. For sure. Yeah. And um when I say gifted, I don't mean like in the sense of total academia and domination. That that's that wouldn't be true. I mean, I was a very smart kid, but when I say gifted, um, I I just was musically inclined from the first time. I could I could walk into a store and play the piano, you know, naturally, you know, and play the xylophone, mess around on the drums. I like when uh, they show like the v- the VH1 uh, story of someone coming up. Right, he was always musically inclined, and, and there'll be like a baby, they're like three, and they're playing the pots and pans, but. Oh, professional like you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would have that would have been me. Yeah, yeah. But you know, there was a point where my mother bought me a, a Sinsonic drum set. This was after it really started becoming a reality. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, prior to that, you know, just I always had a love for the words in music, for the way the music sounded. Like I remember, I remember. Remember, whoa, Black Betty, whoa, Black Betty, family, whoa. I remember. I probably was like eight or nine years old when that record came out, if that. But it's just something about words and the way that, and and later on, people went on to sample that record as well. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely, that's what I mean. It's just those things that uh, that helped me evolve. And help me to grow, you know. So, and then just having some really cool ass parents that were, that were in the know, you know. My mom was very in the know. She wasn't like blind. She wasn't one of those old ladies where she didn't understand what was happening. She wholeheartedly supported it, you know. So they were your parents were hip. Your mom was hip to it. Yeah, she understood yeah. that this was some uh, new and interesting. And she followed through and she liked it herself. Well, she liked the fact that it was something positive that I could get into, you know. And, and uh, instantly when she seen that it gave me a voice, she told me to do something with it. You know? how, how did Pops feel about it? My Pops, he loved it. At first he wasn't, you know, my father, my father was the type of cat. He was a hustler. You know, he worked just nine to five and he hustled. And um, he wasn't always around. But I remember when he first did. Like, I'd always go seek him out, you know. But I remember when I came and I got my first record deal, you know. That was that was the Ignite for him. But he always loved what I did, you know. Like, when he found out that I could rhyme, he just told me to stay focused. You know, sometimes having a father in the street can be a double-sided coin. You know, you might right, miss him. But right. at the same time, there's a plethora of knowledge that's locked inside of a man that's lived through all of that. So... And sometimes the knowledge is um they one doesn't know that you have it. Right? Like and I don't mean to compare myself to anybody else, but someone will ask me something about hip hop and it'll just be like 
automatic response with dates and stuff. Right. And then I'll sit back and I'll be like, whoa, I didn't even know. I, I didn't realize that I knew that. But it's, it was so embedded. You're, it's such a lifestyle, such a, a thing that you live in, in and out that it just becomes you, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's really what wisdom is, is like what you've learned through your experiences. And now you're able to kind of divulge that to whoever's asking. Yeah. And that's the way it works. And that's what I learned from my father. So, you know, my pops was just as equally as uh, open to the music. You know, and um, I won my first first contest nationally at uh sixteen. And was this was it a big stage? Was it a school contest? It was, no, it How was a national. Work? It was a national contest. It was okay. at a um, it was at this roller skating rink called USA Roller Rinks at the time. They were like pretty cool, and uh, every Saturday night was like hip hop night. And one of my buddies uh. Got talked my mother into letting me, you know, sign up for the contest. You sixteen, you said. Yeah, I'm okay, sixteen okay. years old, and um, I ended up winning the whole thing, and that was like my first taste of like even what fame could even remotely feel like. <clears throat> and I remember getting my my face in the. I was on the front of the paper, you know. I made the paper, which was a big deal. I still have that article up in the house. I keep it there just as a reminder because if you look at my eyes in that picture. Right there, I knew that was the one. No, it wasn't even bright eyes. It was eyes of I'm going oh, like to this get this. It. Yeah, it wasn't bright nice, eyes. Nice. It wasn't bright okay. eyes. I was okay. very focused yeah. at a young yeah. age and knew what I wanted. And Were I, you supernatural back then? Also, did you start off supernatural? Nah, I gotta actually, hear some of these old names. Uh, um, my first, my first name was oh god, I hate it. It was a uh, Berserko, which was really Berserko. Yeah, which okay. was horrible. All and right. then for a long time after that, I just had a, the name Dr. Rap, you know, which was like, that's at the time, that was a cool name. At least I thought so. But um, I didn't become the natural till probably 1989. And it was after seeing the movie with Robert Redford, where he plays the baseball player. Yeah. And I think he comes back from time or something crazy like that. Yeah. But... um. There's a scene in the movie, you know, they call him the natural. Uh-huh. And he goes up to plate with the bat and has the lightning bolt on it. And he hits the ball and it makes the lights explode. And it was it was that scene that was like, yo, I'm going to call myself the natural. The natural. You know, because I felt yeah. like what I did, I was a natural at it. You know, the, the, the freestyling, I was a, a true natural at it. From the first day that I have opened my mouth, I was freestyling. Straight up. When I turned that record over and I started acting like Grandmaster Cass, that was the birth of Supernatural. Mm, you know, yeah. so I was freestyling out so the gate. You were, you were freestyling and then it evolved into, okay, so then you started doing competitions? Well, the free, yeah, the freestyling yeah. started, then I got into that competition. I did a couple of little local like street battles and stuff like that, but um, the competition was the first time that I had to go somewhere with the routine. and Right. You know, I'm right. like, okay, you just can't go in there and just rap. And there was this DJ. I got to shout him out. His name is Sean Vance. <laughs> I don't know if he'll be listening to this or not, but he was one of the dudes that, like, had turntables, had all the records. And, and, and It was the dude on the block that had the, the system. Him and a couple other cats. Okay. I, I had all a right. few cats that had yeah. crates around me, you know, because we had a record store in Indiana called Big D Records, and uh, his name was Gus Dorsey. And shout out to Gus. And this is when the DJs were revered. 
right? Like, Absolutely. Like a DJ wasn't like uh, I hear stories of uh, like DJ Battle Cat or all these other old like old school DJs, and they're like, dude, the DJ was the man. Bro. Oh yeah, like, you know, you get to carry the crates. I carried crates. I did all of that. But then you can see you get to carry the crates for the DJ. Like the DJ was the dude. That's the way right? he got in the party for free. <laughs> you know. Okay, I like that. That's I like the way that. he got That's... in. <laughs> but so did you? Okay, so the freestyling came natural. What about the writing? Has that ever been a big part of you as an MC? Or writing is always something that's been part of me. I just think that I'm very comfortable in what I do. And in the beginning of my career, if I had the knowledge that I have now, I would have I would have stayed closer to that instead of trying to conform to what everybody else did. Um, writing for me now is is just as easy as going in the booth freestyling it, where I was a young cat with more skill than I knew what to do with, to be honest with you. And so I didn't have a strong sense of direction, nor a really strong group of people around me that was managing my career at the time. So writing for me was sometimes a thorn in my side. But as time progressed on, I started to understand it a lot, a lot more. Because if you do something one way for so long, it's hard to start breaking out of that. So... I was, it was like I was a playground player that tried to go play in the NBA. You know, I couldn't do all of the tricks and all of the you, other you stuff. You were Iverson. Uh, nah, more like you know? Skip to my Lou. <laughs> yeah, because Iverson, <laughs> Skip to my Lou was yeah. like a player that went from the playground to the league. Okay. And even when yeah. he was in the league, he would catch himself sometimes right. doing things that he would do yeah. on the playground. Right, so right. writing for me was... At, at, at one point, it was like that. But then as time progressed on, it's just like anything else. You hone your skill. And I just finished my last, the last album that I just finished, I wrote the entire thing. Just just so people would say, hey, he wrote the record. I just think that <laughs> at, at the time when I was making records, when I was signed, I think that I was just too far ahead of my time with what I was thinking about. You right. know, yeah. I was too out. I was too out of space. You know, and and hindsight is twenty twenty, but you know, I was different. You know, now I'm kind of catching up to myself. It, it created this atmosphere around you to having this these skills that everyone wanted, and everyone tried to mimic, right? But not not an MC that can write very well. It does doesn't necessarily translate to an MC that can freestyle. Because, and vice versa sometimes and vice too. versa sometimes yeah because it's a completely different set of skills that you're trying to both finish at the same place which is with a a song or a, a set or something like that right? right so you're both aiming but you're taking different paths and the the freestyle mc knows that path very well and he gets her one way so then when you try to walk the other man's path you see how difficult it is to go back and forth from them right for me it wasn't that it wasn't ever difficult i think it deals with being lazy. Oh, you th it's just uh, not absolutely, working yeah. at, at one or the Ooh, other. You're so nice at one. You're like, oh, shit, I ain't got to do that. You know, so that I'm just speaking for myself, not yeah, for everybody you. else. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then, too, you know, like, it was funny. Um, Me and my wife were speaking about this earlier today. We would talk. She asked me about a freestyle thing. And, you know, because Kane, me and Big Daddy Kane had had a conversation. And he was like, you know, in the 80s, that freestyle could have been a written rhyme. With no particular, you know, direction, no subject, you just skilling it out. That was also a freestyle. And then you had coming off the head, you know. So yeah. I know, and you, he looking at me like, no, I never no, no, heard no, this, no, no, but no. 
No, it's been a it's been a conversation for many years, but a lot of people don't know that. I remember that point. Uh, Eminem uh, describing it in that way, saying, "I never wrote it down." So like everything, so I go, I remember the first line, then I'll remember the second line, and then I'll spit them together. I'll remember the third line, and I'll go back, and he'll write an entire verse in his head without ever using a pencil. So he's saying he calls that a freestyle because it's never no, been jolted. I call that writing a verse in your head <laughs> without a pen. But and that's how Eminem would defend it. Like yeah, I, I get Eminem, it. you know, back in like uh, he would do uh, the Wake Up Show. And then, you know, he'd be known as this, like, oh, super dope freestyle. He's yeah, he like, yeah, but I came in with that verse in my head already. It's just not. Yeah, Papoose used to write like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, shout out to Pap. I used to see him. We used to go to DR Period Studios, and he'd just pace around the studio, and he'd piece together his bars in his head. Jay-Z, there's a few cats that do that. Right. You know, but see, with the advent of Pro Tools and... You know, all of the things that we have now, it's easy for me to go in there and do that. Like, I can oh, catch my sure. first four bars. Yeah. I can catch the next five bars. Yeah. And, and that's what was fun about doing the last album. It was like writing in the booth, you know. Mm, and yeah. it, it was really fun for me because the engineer was having just as much fun hearing me do that. And we got into a rhythm. You know, we did an album and, like, I finished that album in, like, a month. Like, a month and a half. Right. It hasn't been released, but. You know, we worked hard on so it. So you you win the the contest at sixteen. Sixteen, yes. So what's the next milestone you think that happened? The next milestone would have been after winning the contest was just enjoying the accolades, going back to school, you know, telling everybody I was in a contest. Then you go to the you go through the high school phase, you know? You know, you chasing girls and trying to hang out and you know, at the same time building this reputation for being my real name is rico so i became rapping rico to them you know that's rapping rico and uh it was cafeteria legend <laughs> you know and then people pounding on the table oh that was real you're deal. doing your thing his name was bruce richards he he actually could pound on the <laughs> table the dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah his name was bruce richards it could actually pound on the table and he could beatbox so nice yeah, yeah we yeah. used to we used to do that in the lunchroom and um I remember, like, my senior year, I um, was getting ready to graduate, and I was like, yo, man, I, I got to get out of this place. You know, because I was always, I felt like I was two steps ahead of where I was living. You know, it, no disrespect to where I grew up, but it was a very slow-paced place. And nine times out of ten, you either going to end up working in a factory or you know, trying to hustle or something. There, there, there was, there's no arts. There's, there was nothing there, especially after you grow up. So um, at 18, 19 years old, I was out. And then that's when the real fun began. I moved to New York City, and that's when the whole evolution took place. But the one thing that when you say the milestone for me you have to conquer where you where you were born before you can go conquer any place else. And when I say that, I mean in the sense that all the kids that I went to school with, after you after I would finish rhyming, would always say one thing. You need to be out of here. Don't don't stay here. Get out of here. So that's exactly what I did. I hustled up seven hundred dollars. We'll leave out the rest of the story, but I got the money, 
And um, I went and told my mother. My cousins had came from New York for the summer. Uh, Sean Merrill, Yolanda Merrill. And they had came to see me. We hung out. And I just fell in love with them. They was like the coolest cousins in the world. And then I had another family from the Bronx that actually lived in Indiana. That's how I would get all of the tapes from New York. So I had all of the Red Alerts and the Mr. Magics with the commercials, all of that live. I was dubbing those tapes off $5 a pop in high school. You know, that was that my, was a good business for me, too. Yeah, that was a hustle. That was you a know? really good business you for me. Yeah, good yeah. tapes. People wanted them. So that's what I would do. And um, from there, took off to New York City. So you told moms, look, I'm going to leave with my cousins. I'm going to go back with them. So you, so she, it was already kind of, okay, well, at least he has a place to stay. I don't know that. I know you're going to go and land somewhere that night. So moms feels better probably. Yeah, my aunt Sherry. Little bit Sherry Merrill. She was good. I stayed in Long Island for one year, and then I moved to Brooklyn. And that's when... And you left with the intentions of hip-hop. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well... Uh-huh. I wanted to just see the city where hip hop was birthed at first. I didn't right. really honestly ever think in a million years that I was going to get a record deal. That's and, why I know what it was year destiny. was this, would you say? It was 1989. So 89. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> Very cool. So you get to New York. Uh, what's your first experience with hip hop there? Well, it was just my first experience as soon as you get off the, you walk into it. You got to remember, it's 89, right? Yeah. 1989. I'm picturing it in my head. I'm That's trying to... Unknown, but that yeah. was Chuck D. Sound of the funky drummer. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, First absolutely. time you go to Brooklyn, yeah. You, yeah. You, you you fight the power. You know, this is this is the summer that all of that shit is mm-hmm. going down. Mm-hmm. New York is on fire mm-hmm. in more than one way. Right. You know? So I get off in Penn Station. Amtrak train. You know? A million people moving around. People everywhere. The dude walking by with a radio. The bum sitting on a bench. There's people arguing. There's a sexy girl walking by. There's cops. It's just madness. It's 1989, New York City, Times Square. You know, like the bridge is over. Is like t- two years old, maybe. Right? About so three. That's still. It's about three. It's, it's still, still happening. It's still, still there. fresh. Everything yeah. is there. Everything yeah. is there. And I'm I'm still, I'm just in a train station. Right. So then we get in the car and we turn on the radio and, you know, you hear Kiss FM for the first time, you know, while it's on the air, you know, like not on a tape. So hip hop is playing automatically. And I could just, I could remember certain songs just in my head right now. Like I was there when certain records came out, you know, like. There's not enough time to really, once we get into the New York portion of this interview, to really go as deep and tell you. So I'll just have to pick some of the gems to, you know, tell you because there's so many things that I was privy to and part of and seen some of the illest shows in my life once I got there. Is there one in particular that sticks in your memory? You mean one memory? Yeah. Let's go with one show. One show, man, that's a hard one, bro, because I see so much. I remember one night in particular when I, you know, this was this was after I was signed, though, so I don't know if this counts, but it counts for me. But um, we used to do a showcase for our record label when I was on East West Records, and um, all the artists would come out and perform, you know, whatever their hot song was or whatever the song that they were getting ready to release. 
And uh, I was label mates with Busta Rhymes. Shout out to Busta. You know, um, Yo-Yo, a whole bunch of people were on the label at the time. Uh, Daddy D, Omniscience, Champ MC, Pete Rock, Brand Nubians. It was, our roster was thick. So uh, I remember sitting there backstage and Busta Rhymes walks on stage. And he walks out to the sample of Hoo-Ha, the original record. And I remember we're sitting there. I'm trying to think, what does he walks out to that? What does he mean? Is there a dude playing? Is he playing it as he's walking out? No, the DJ is playing the original record on the turntables. (laughs) Okay. So Busta Rhymes is walking out with his Busta Rhymes swag, and he's smiling, and he's laughing. And, you know, he hasn't said anything yet. And uh, the crowd was just kind of, like, taken back. So he goes, yo, fuck that. Turn off the music. Y'all ain't feeling this shit. Rewind the record, Rashad. I'm going to leave and then come back again. And he left off the stage and he comes back again. And after they get, after they finish playing the sample, they drop the, the beat. And I swear I was standing next to my man. And when he said, and when I step inside the place, you know I step correct. Woo-ha. I got you all in check. My mind right there I tapped my dude I said he's out of here I said that's it Buster Rhymes is a star Right now Tonight By the time he got to the second part of the hook We were in Sony Studios in Manhattan All the executives there The place is packed By the time he got to the second hook The whole crowd was singing it First time he ever performed that record In front of anybody At least to my knowledge I had never heard that record before That night and I remember I was just blown away. And I always tell that story. And then there's one more that I was in, actually involved in the massacre. And that's the night that me and KRS-One, Bumpy Knuckles, uh, Smith & Wesson, Fab Five, Channel Live, we rocked Damn. the Palladium on Thanksgiving night. And... um <sighs> I can't even explain to you the energy I felt when we did the bridges over, you know, uh, when he dropped Criminal Minded. You you got to understand what it's like to be a fan of someone and then they, you're part of the crew and you're feeling that energy on stage. You got to keep your fanboy contained for that for that minute. For that minute. You know what I mean? You gotta I've got to do that so many times. You got to keep, this. but it, it's oh, even harder as an artist. I, I can imagine. <laughs> I know? can imagine. So, yeah. Those, those because are, now you like, I'm an artist too, though, but damn, I can't believe KRS just did that. Yeah. That's crazy. And then, then he passed the mic to me. Now, that if that's not being battle tested and battle tried, I've rocked after KRS One has done the bridges over. It's crazy. It's not a lot of people that'll do that. You know, so those are just like, that's a couple of the highlights that, you know, that has happened in my life, you know, like with the music, meeting Biggie, just touring the world. Like I met Biggie as a regular dude, you know, on the block, I always tell that story to people, you know, I was before he was Biggie. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he was big Chris, <clears throat> fat Chris, they call him big on the block, but he wasn't the notorious B.I.G. Right, right. Yeah, he was just a guy from the neighborhood that I knew. I used to have, my manager used to live on Lefferts. Did, did you also, at the moment, know about something something special about this dude? There's something, something oh, about yeah, this Oh, yeah, no cat. question. Like, okay. we had a night where we stopped and 
we talked and smoked a blunt and drank a little Hennessy and just had a blow, you know, like one day we gonna make it conversation and the next year we made it. <laughs> like both of us and it was just like wow like from one time talking to him on the block to seeing him you know went go to where he went and the one thing i always say about biggie is that he never was um he never got full of himself he never became so big of a star that when he seen me he didn't he didn't show love it was always the same it was the exact same dude that i met on the block you know so i was That's fortunate fortunate yeah. to be part of those those moments but man i mean the, the, yeah. my memories in hip-hop are just unbelievable so i don't even know where to you get off the, you. you get off the train you're at the station what is your first um <clears throat> uh like would you say like test of progression so you get there you're doing your thing but one is like the first contest or the first show it wasn't on the first the first show or some of the first shows i did was with a group of guys called the Nation of the Lost Tribe. We went on to become Alien Nation and Phoenix Orion and Naptron and all those dudes when we released the Celestial Music. So I did a lot of shows with them. But if I have to, like, be honest and tell you where I cut my teeth, it would have to be Washington Square Park. Because uh, Washington Square Park was, like, where everybody went to meet. Talib Kweli, Aguilar, myself... Um, the Boogie Monsters, uh, this one kid named Exactly, Road of Horror Show, the Bush Babies, uh, Mop Tops. I mean, it, all lyrics, Thurston Howe the Third. Like, if you came to Washington Square at that time, your bars had to be up because there was headhunters in there. And if it wasn't headhunters, it was just a lot of cats in there with a lot of talent. Wordsworth, Punchline. I mean, all of these dudes came through at one point. Craig G, uh, Master Ace. The, the park was like the premier meeting place for MCs in New York, you know. And then, of course, at one point, the police got on the bullshit and, you know, started to run us out the park. But for the most part, that would be the the testing ground for what later would become my career, you know? So it was always a learning process. It was a learning process living with the talent that God had gave me, you know? So every time that I opened my mouth and I seen that I could touch somebody with my words, that was one more stripe on my, on my jacket, you know, beyond making money. It was like, damn, I have something that moves people. It's a direct energy source. I can open up my mouth and say something and it generates a smile. In order to generate a smile, you have to use a certain amount of energy. In order to receive that transmission, your heart has to receive it, your mind has to receive it. So understanding your power and your depth, once I got a grasp of that, man, this is my life. I love doing this. That's why I still do it to this day. And it never has failed me. I've rocked for old people. Young people, white people, black people, Mexican, nuns, nurses, kings, queens, princesses. Yes, I've been a little bit of everywhere in this world. And that gift transcends color, gender, anything that you could think of. That gift transcends that. <clears throat> someone like, um, you have like someone like Eminem, someone like Tupac, 
someone like Rakim, where <clears throat> they transcend race. Like, you don't think, if you're, you don't, I don't think of Eminem like a color. Like, I don't think, oh, he's dope for a white cat. Like, he's dope. Tupac, no, just the same MC. thing. as it, So, my goal has always been to transcend everything. Like, I don't want to be fat, I don't want to be tall, I don't want to be short, I want, I want to be hip-hop. Like, that's it. And there's a certain, like, roster of MCs that have reached that status, right? Bigs, Pac, RAs, like, those cats are just our hip-hop. When you have a hip-hop conversation, these are just names that naturally come out. You said RA? Yeah. The Rugged Man? RA, the, to me, I, I mean, we're talking, if you have a, a conversation with knowledgeable real hip-hop heads that know oh, no. what I, they're talking I, I, about. I just was making sure that's what you said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, RA, at least in the, in the circles that I that I walk, RA, the Rugged Man, very well respected as, as he should be. Oh, no. He was very one of the first talented, dudes that made a dude. record label, a song, dissing record labels. Took a lot of yeah. balls to do that, and, and and his talent has he's proven himself time and time again with the albums and the delivery and his his way of kind of adapting to the new sounds that are going on, mm-hmm. but always delivering RA, which mm-hmm. to me transcends whatever color or he's from Long Island, I think, but anywhere he's from, well, he grew up hip hop head, right? I, I always say this because I have to be clear, you know. It's not about a color thing, but it is sometimes, too. Because hip-hop was birthed off the backs of soul music. You take away soul, you take away James Brown. See, a lot of times we don't go that deep. It's not to make it into a color thing. It's to represent the people that made it possible for us to do this. You know, and those were Africans. You know, the drum was the first thing that we ever talked on whether you were mexican any indigenous people spoke with drums that's why hip-hop touches indigenous people to this day you know it's never about color but it's about identifying truly where the inspiration came from and where it started at and it started in the motherland you know the griot the storyteller of the village was a very was was highly regarded the poet was highly regarded, you know, and hip hop did start out as pretty much a Puerto Rican and black thing, you know, in the Bronx, you know, uptown, New York City. And then it spread out across the country to Los Angeles. And once again, the blacks and Mexicans picked it up out here and we continued. And then slowly, you know, we always had a few white groups along the way. And those particular ones were always good. The Beastie Boys. Great, one of the greatest groups of all time to me, you know, Eminem, Third Base, MC Search, not to separate them from the group, right, but, you right. know, and then you started having your company flows and your atmospheres and, your, you know, all of these things are spawned from one thing. And that's the true nucleus of where hip hop came from. And so you always have to put. Put that out there first. I'm a universal thinker, but sometimes we we skip over the nuts and bolts of where things truly come from, the origins. And that's one of my problems with a lot of the youth today. Yeah. I you think can... you're talking about giving props where props are due. Exactly. Right? The origins. Giving credit to those that, that Ex- made Exactly. It. Yeah. How can you say, how can we talk shit and we love hip hop so much and you don't shout out Clyde Stubblefield? You know who Clyde Stubblefield Absolutely, is? Okay. Yeah. So this is what I mean. Or we don't shout out James Brown. And I'm just using those two in particular because those were two of the most sampled men in history. 
And I remember seeing Clyde Stubblefield in an interview say one time, man, I was, I just, you know, it'd be nice if they gave me credit. Do you hear what that, you hear what I just said? The greatest drummer in the world said it would be nice if they just gave me credit. Because in the beginning, when we first started sampling music and we started chopping up music, it was all about, oh, you don't know what I'm chopping. You don't know where I got these drums, blah, 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 blah. But in the same breath, nobody was giving people their credit. And I must say this tonight. I shall not hold my tongue since we're talking about giving credit where credit is due. I was watching Jimmy Fallon the other night and I seen the young brother Afro on there. Shout out to Afro. And he does the box of freestyle. Supernatural created that. Absolutely, 100%. 110%. <laughs> Listen, very rhythmatical, acrobatical, on the microphone, it's your boy, Supernatural. Hip-hop truly is my habitat. Understand, off the top of the dome right now, and I'm grabbing that. I'ma take a stab at that. Yeah, cause I know the facts. Who the fuck gave me this dirty pair of those Air Max? Huh, black, now in the place to be. Get a load of me, yo, we all family. The style I spit is so clean. Every time that I rock it, yo, it is so mean. Listen close, yo, I'm a microphone fiend. Rolling papers do not go with Visine. Huh. Every time I'm black, I love to throw that. When I start to spit it, I'm a natural born Kobach. Hey, that's right, yeah, cause the glimmer. Yo, she gave the Nevia for the lips for the shimmer. Hey, anytime that I pump, yo, I love to blow. And when I break it down, hey, yo, they never know. And you can figure it, and know it for a lack. Cigarettes are a gang and they roll in a 20 pack. Huh, yeah, told you, yo, I love the bus. And when I'm on the mic, break it down and trust. Hey, brother, yo, they try me, try me. Off the top of the dome, I'm about to read her ID. Hey, couldn't you tell? Yo, it's in a raid. First name's Amanda, last name is Gage. Hey, put it together, style so clever. And when I'm on the beat, nobody does it better. Yo, they can't surpass this. Yo, I'm giving classes. Wonder what I could do with a pair of glasses. Kill it in the winter, do it in the summer. Put the glasses on and I feel it like Stevie Wonder. Huh, yeah, black, yeah, I could see. Everybody in the place now rock with me. I bring it off the dome, big cats the clones. Yeah, and that's that group they call Bone. Hey, like a dog, I walk through the fog. Every time that I spit it, I walk through the dog. Hey, Supernatural, pull it out of the brag. Who's the girl right now? Cause she is on a rag. Huh. Every time for the reason, the treason. Tell you what, girl, that coochie is bleeding. Hey, that's right, yo, get it together. Like chips made by Chipotle peppers. Hey, I'm the hero, eat them like Tostito. Told you off of the top from the libido. Do it all day, and yeah, every bet list. He loves hip hop so much, his own set list. And I said, do I sound like the bitter old man and go, oh man, he's stealing my shit. Well, I could possibly be that bitter old man, but no, I'm an old man that steps back and thinks. All you gotta do is say, shout out to Supernat. That's more than any money or anything that anybody could ever give me. That's something that I originated in my bedroom. I introduced that to the hip hop world. You can't go nowhere back in history and find nobody that ever did that but me. So when I see that it's made it to national television without me attached to it, oh, I do have some type of feelings about that. And that's why I brought up R.A. the Rugged Man as he held up things in the studio 
for Afro to rhyme. Oh my God! What do you mean, oh my God? You've seen that a million times before. If you've seen Supernatural, you've seen that. And this is of no disrespect to Afro. I want to be very clear on this. We're talking about giving credit where credit is due. Somebody sent me a video of Black Thought on the Combat Jack show getting interviewed. I would have never thought that Black Thought remembered this, this moment in time ever in my life, but obviously he did. Reggio Say asked him, a.k.a. Combat Jack, said, um, did anyone ever have you shook in a game? And he said, nah, nah, nobody ever had me shook. Nobody ever had me shook. But I remember one time being in D.C. with this kid named Supernatural, and I'm like, oh, shit. I know exactly the night he's talking about because we were both hanging out at these girls' cribs or whatever and, you know, doing what we do. And uh, we were listening to the Illmatic album. And uh, we ended up going to the train station the next day. He went his way. I went my way. We bumped into each other again, <laughs> you know, on the same little hour, within the hour of us leaving. Smoked a blunt. Well, I'm giving you the condensed version. Ended up in New York that night. Went back home. He ended up in New York that night. And he seen me perform at a club. He went back and told the roots. And these are his words. These dudes is on some other shit. Either we doing it, we doing it the way we do it or doing it beyond that. And I sat and I watched that interview and I was like, wow. And that's one of the first times that somebody brought up being inspired or, you know, being inspired by me or in, on that level or, you know, where it was in a public forum. So when I seen that, you know, I just felt like it was time to address it, man. I'm tired of being in interviews and not saying what's on my mind. I'm tired of people trying to tell me how to think and what to say. So, you know, to the people out there that play with that routine, know where that routine comes from. Cat Williams said it best. You know, Chrysler 300 looks real nice. Until that Bentley pulls up on your ass at the light. And then you know you're in a Chrysler 300. So, you know, metaphorically speaking, we all should give credit where credit is due. Whether it's Clyde Stubblefield, James Brown, or wherever we choose to sample our music from or gain our inspiration from. I think that's one of the things that's wrong with hip-hop. We have lost the respect for the foundation from which it came and trust me the foundation is under fire right now <laughs> you know but i just felt like i should put that out there for the record i'm a firm activist of this find out find out who was before you do what you do but make sure you pay respect to them all the way through just a little and, bit of homage and, and, i ain't asking you to drop down and do nothing ridiculous i'm asking right. you to be a true head because a true head is always going to tell where he got his inspiration from. That's like me sitting here saying I wasn't inspired to destroy the stage like KRS-One after I seen the way that people screamed. I wanted to garner that same energy. So I turned my knob up a little bit. I didn't take from KRS-One. The only thing I took from him was the expertise and the precision of how to control yourself as an MC on the stage. That's what I took. I sat back and I watched somebody that was greater than me and to make myself better. One of the things that I, one of these, these, one of my favorite quotes is, if I can see far, it's because I'm standing on the, on the shoulders of giants, right? So if I am where I am, I like it's that. only because 
of those that came before me paved that way. And artists like Afro, artists like all the other artists that have similar styles or see, one of one of my greatest, one of my favorite MCs is Nas, right? But Nas never once said de- de- denied or did not give credit to Kooji Rap for hey, like he was he he if without Kooji Rap, Nas would not be Nas. Without half of them dudes, like without Kooji Rap, KRS One, Rakim, Run DMC, Big Daddy Kane, you wouldn't have Supernatural. Those five right there were very influential on me. Slick Rick taught me how to tell stories. KRS One taught me how to rock a stage. Busta Rhymes taught me how to be animated. You know, I could, I could. The list can go on. Bumpy Knuckles taught me to be a little bit grimy with the bars. You know. And then when you take all of that and you put it inside a gumbo pot, I didn't take anything from their style. I took teachings from each one of them and applied them to my book. And then when you watch any any great artist, if you sit down and you really watch a great artist, there is so much you can learn. If you're really watching, if you really know how to analyze that artist, that's why sometimes when I see people doing my routine, and they're not doing it correctly, I'm analyzing that. I'm looking at that. I'm going, wow, the world is seeing this for the first time, but they're not seeing it correctly. And that's the very essence of hip-hop. Like when we first started the interview, so you had the elements of hip-hop around you, and then which gave birth to like the blues, the jazz, all that combined gave birth to hip-hop. It allowed it to create, and it did exactly like you said, gumbo. Right? Yeah, you and had the bebop, came bebop out, to and there it was. Yeah. You know, that's why no, bebop I, I, sounds like hip hop. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I think what happens a lot though, it's a certain generation, generational way of thinking. What you're saying, see what I'm saying? I don't feel this generation ha- gives a lot of credit. Well, to to the generation that came before it, because we have this this. Everyone wants to be a boss, but no one wants to work. Well, first there's of no all, work I mean, everyone wants I, to we be have to be one. specific in who we're categorizing but, here. You know, but you know, if you're if you're a kid that grew up, is, okay, is very much. Well, those dudes, you know, to me, they're significant, but they don't count because you're not doing anything that resembles to pay homage to that. That music you're doing is not where 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 we come from. The Number two thing- is too the frequency is changing. Not to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead. You have to understand the times that we're living in. This is bigger than hip hop. We're dealing with a frequency right now that is fucking up the minds of the babies. It's fucking up the kids. That's why if you look at the music, it's a hyperactive movement, even with the dancing, the jumping around. But then you go from hyper to dull. So you're trapped in between two worlds. You on lean and you turn. How can you be turned up if you on lean? That's codeine. You understand? These are drug-induced kids that are making the music. And what type of frequency do you think that produces into the world? So for me personally, I wouldn't expect them to pay homage to Cool G Rap or Big Daddy Kane. And I said something to somebody, and this is another note. Hip-hop in the 80s all the way up through the 90s was birthed through crack, too. There was a lot of crack-laced rhymes, street-laced lyrics. So see, when we get mad at these dudes here, we still got to remember it's the hate that hate built. You understand what I'm saying to you? 
If you go back and you listen to some of the rhymes, we glorified some of the most outlandish shit in the world too. Just sounded dope. Just was on the right beat. But some of the shit was still grimy. Right, yeah. You know, the message, the subject matter was still, you know, I pump crack, I, you know, I'll fuck your bitch, pop a bottle, you know, my 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 chain is shining, my watch will blind you. For a long time, this is what it was too. And then it evolved into this new energy that we see now, trap music. No disrespect to the people that do it and no disrespect to where it comes from. But I feel like at this day and age, whether you're black, Chinese, Hispanic, or white, and you put a microphone in your hand and you're still talking about doing dope and how fucked up you are, you're fucked up. Straight up. That's why the music is not organic anymore. It has a certain frequency to it. You can't do nothing else but act like you have convulsions and fits. Who the fuck is designer panda? Like what it's cool to bite now? Didn't Future just come out two years ago? And you sound just like him? Who's co-signing this shit? Who's signing this shit? Who's signing young thugs? Who's signing little Uzi Verts? The music is trash. These motherfuckers can't rap. But this just is a sign of the times that we're living in. We're in some of the most treacherous times that planet Earth has ever seen right now. So people want to escape. But the music that they're escaping to is pretty fucking numbing. You know, if it, that's just my personal opinion. You know, I don't want to get too deep with it, but it is what it is. If you've studied music and you've listened to music as long as I have, then it's easy to hear that there is a covert operation going on within the music. I think what happens is when um when people like you bring it up, right? Then the number one thing they ask is, okay, so what do we do? How do we fix it? What can we do about it? The answer really is, you gotta just. It's the progression that it's taken. It's really what's happened. You don't to try it. to fix it. The, you you it allow it to grow. It gets negated because, like, well, what are you gonna do about the concept? You can complain about this. What are you gonna do? What can we do? It just it is what it is. It's what's happening now. It's just like anything else. As sure as the sun rises, it'll meet the darkness, and then dark will change back to day. So it's not about trying to eradicate something. It's just like any other era that we've lived through. There was always a music that defined the era. This is the music that's defining this era. Unfortunately, this is a real shaky era that we're in, you know, and it's really hard for the gems to shine through. But that's only because the powers that be have recognized that hip-hop was a global force that changed the world. We were the tastemakers of the world. We changed the way that people perceive things, the way the music is digested. You know, we became a commodity, something that was once, something that was birthed out of the hood, that was told that it would never make it off the block, is now a household word. Look at you. How old are you? 30. See, you was a baby when this shit first started. You know, now look at you now. You got your own radio show. You love it. You, you've studied the art form. You have your favorites. You have your least favorites, you know, but, I do. That's but, true. but in the same breath, look at where it went to. So, you know, not to get off the point. I think 
the, the number one mistake that any culture does is forget about its history. And hip hop as a culture, it's right. Example, raise me. Now I'm not the only one. There's millions of other kids that were raised on hip hop. No dad, no brother, no cut, whatever. Pac was my dad. Slug was my dad. Chino, that was my dad. Cannabis. These were people that taught me how to be tough, taught me how to love, how to be disrespectful and respectful, how to have confidence, when to do what, when to do when. So I hold it very dear. So my, my entire life has revolved around hip hop. Mm. And when I, when I said, how can I contribute? Okay, I can spit. All right, I'll spit, I'll spit. Doing that. Then I said, but I want to get to know my favorite artists. And by getting to know them, you, the public, the world, gets to know them with me. And I made a decision to myself was that I can contribute way more to hip hop in a positive way with this show than I can't, that I could ever do as an MC. Right. Not only because the shows like these are rare and few in between, but also because in, in, a, in a world where everyone raps, it's going to be that much harder to become the, oh, this dude that's like talking and moving. But if you can have a forum behind you, right? And not, and just, and build a catalog MCs that you've been able to get to know. Therefore, millions of other people get to hear their stories. Absolutely. And now you're contributing. This is my form of art. I used to be on the other side where you was. Talk to me about that. I had my own radio show in New York. It was called Live from the Underworld with the Freestyle Fanatic. DJ Enough was the DJ for the show. And we used to do the exact same thing. We had two hours on the air, and we'd always have two guests, you know. And I had Biggie, Craig Mack, Cuban Lynx, Fat Joe, Smith & Wesson, uh, the whole Duck Down camp. Oh, man, I'm leaving KRS-One, Mad Lion, you know, so like we Cellar Dwellers, Boogie Monsters, you know, all of these people used to come to my radio show. I mean, like like I said, man, a lot of people don't know the true story in that. So like when I often get time, you know, or get these opportunities to have interviews like this that are so in-depth, you know, I like to, you know, tell people a little bit of the history and also voice my opinion because I got one. And I think this is what's going to help, like you said, get us out of the darkness is ha- remembrance of the old stories of the, of the, of the, those that came before you by always recognizing that they were there and they're, they're still here and what their contributions have. Just like any tribe, they like, talk about the elders. Well, cause if you forget what the elders taught you, you know, that's, this is this, this, you want to, you want an example of what it's like forgetting what elders taught you is this version of hip hop that we're in now. This is, they've forgotten it. They, they've, it's moved, it's, it's, it's mute. You know, there's no, there's no giving credit to them so they don't learn from them. There's no but paying homage to those that birth your style or birth your, your routines, that kind of stuff. It's important to do that. Uh, it's, it's very important. To keep important. the culture moving and alive. It, it's sad that, like I said, it's the hate that hate created. And, and back to the whole routine thing. I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. But you do have to understand, like, that's something that's very dear to me. That took me around the world for 25 years and, and, and fed and my family. And for those that might be getting to know Supernatural uh, the first time, uh, the routine that you're speaking of is when you're on your cross, and I've seen it many times, it amazes me to this day. You're doing your thing, and people will hand you stuff while you're on stage. Correct. And you will freestyle about those things being handed to you. Correct. Water bottle, phone, caps. Yeah, that, hat, that actually was just a... A exercise that I used to do as a kid to get my bars up. 
But when I first got booked for my first real show, I said, well, damn, what can I do to really leave a mark? And that's what I started doing. And that just stuck for life, you know. And I've always been a cat that's been a freestyle. I didn't have a lot of hit records in my career, you know. And there's no shame in me saying that because I had one thing that was always a hit, that organic-ass rhyme power, you know, to Definitely. be able to just conjure shit on the spot, you know. So I don't hold anything as if it's mine, you understand? Imitation is the highest form of flattery, and I've never forgot that. My mother used to tell me that one. So when I see people doing something, that lets me know I made my mark in the world. But at the same time, I would never have the audacity, the balls, or the arrogance to never salute generals when I see them. And I think that that's my problem. And no, I don't think that I should walk into a room and motherfuckers should kowtow to Supernatural. But if Buster Rhymes walked through the door right now, I would show Buster just as much love as I would show KRS-One love, you know, or or Young MC. It was like when I met Kendrick Lamar for the first time. I was a fan, you know. I really dig what he does. That's a lyricist, you know. That's somebody that plays with the words, manipulates the words, make them do what he wants them to do, you know. So I, I, I'm... I, I say all of that to say, you know, like, I don't want anyone to misunderstand that, you know, like, when you a captain, you put on your hat and you and you steer your ship, and I'm the king of this freestyle shit. That's right. One of my favorite routines that you do is, you already know where I'm going, it's the three MCs. Oh, uh, yeah. I love, I, every time you, I'm always hoping you do it. But I never want to shout it out because I'm like, oh, he's got to be like. I tried to, I tried to like stop doing that so much because I did it so many years at Rock the Bells that, right. you know, it's like, okay, yeah. like sometimes I don't even touch that. But once again, when you're a great performer and you have parts of your shows, play like the people, greats. people had hit great. records. Play the hits, Those baby. are my hits. Those you are my freestyle hits. hits. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So I remember one night I tried to sneak out without doing that. And this kid in the front row, he asked me before the show what I do, and I told him maybe, and I didn't do it. And the look on his face when he kind of figured Devastated. like, 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 no. yo. So I came <laughs> back, and just for him, I did, I did it. So, so explain again. Uh, okay, first, where, I'll tell you where that came from. Okay, yeah. yeah, I want the origins. And when did you select? Because it's always the same three, right? Like I can do others, but, you know. But sometimes, particularly, it's those three. I'd use those three because they have such distinctive voices. Right. So when did it when did it start? When did you get that idea? The three MC started in England. Um, I met a, uh, another fellow hip hop head named DJ Noise. Shout out to DJ Noise, one of the illest DJs I've probably ever seen. You know, he uh, won the DMC competition. He won New Music Seminar. He actually beat Rock Raider. Rest in peace, Rock Raider you know, in in one of the competitions. But noise was just super dope. So um I always did imitations, you know, like just as for fun, you know. But I thought one day I said, how would that be if you know like I you know when you with the homies, you clowning. So I did one time where I was rhyming like Biggie. I used to do the, he was he sang on a record. <laughs> and it was uh he was singing like an old reggae song. And I used to imitate him singing that, 
You could be as good as the best of them and as bad as the worst. Remember that song? Don't tempt me. He 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 had a little part in the song where he would sing that, and um, and I would sing that around my brother. He would die laughing. Like he just thought that was the funniest shit ever. And um, I said, I wonder what that would be like if I tried to rap like him, like me and him was doing a duet. Now jump to England. Time for this first big show. I meet up with Noise, and I'm like, yo, man, we got to put together a set tonight, man. We got like 25 shows ahead of us. He was an ace DJ, so it really wasn't hard. So I said, look, man, if you play one record on this, and I say when I turn around or transform, none of this was solid now. We're just making this up. So I'm like, when I turn around, could you, like, drop the Slick Rick record? He's like, no problem. I am DJ Noise, dope DJ, no problem. So... I said, all right, Slick Rick, Biggie, Busta Rhymes. He was like, no problem. And he had all the records. So he had like a little like uh, Fisher Price, one of, not Fisher Price, but one of those little miniature turntables in the room with him. And he started. we started going through records. We put it together. And I remember the first night we did that three MCs thing. That was it for me. I was like, well, in the books, stamped that one, routine, keeping that, never changing it. <laughs> Come on, 
That's really how that was birthed. It was out of necessity. This dude called me and he was like, his name was Mick Modishead. And he was like, yo, man, um, I, I really want you to come over to England, mate, and I'll show for you. And DJ Noise has won the competition. You guys have the same rings. We both had these rings. This ring's from 1993. You're looking at a hip-hop relic right there. I don't even wear this all the time, but I wore it tonight. That was one into New Music Seminar. That S is for Superman Clark Kent. So noise has the same ring. So we meet up over the pond, like on some super friends, you know, superhero shit. We had the same joint. So we ended up, um, putting together the three MCs. That's, and I brought the object freestyle thing out. And, you know, that's where a lot of those things was birthed. We had a lot of other routines that the states have never seen that I would do with him as well, like a whole Star Wars skit where he would scratch Star Wars records and I would do Star Wars references. Look at this Star Wars, you nerd. I'm like trying to figure it out. Oh, man. Uh, no, but I see, now, I see the nerd <laughs> yeah, come out yeah. just now. But no, he had like a, uh, a record with all the Star Wars sound effects on it. That sounds like the coolest fucking thing on the planet. It, it, it was. Yeah. It, it might be out there somewhere. You'd have to do oh, some heavy I'm, searching. I'm going to do some searching. I got to find that. But we used yeah. to have a routine called Can You Rock It R2? And I would be like, can you rock it R2? And he would do the crap. Can you rock it R2? Can you flip it R2? And then I would, you know, rhyme all the characters. And he would like, he had Darth Vader's voice. He would cut Darth Vader's voice. Because he was a master at cutting words. So that's where, that's where the stage show was really developed. Concrete was, was England. And then I brought it back over here and just kept rocking rock the bells all that other crazy nice. shit i've done thing i like that see this is why i love sitting with cats that have something to say and i love to hear it soaking in game and you're putting me in all these places i love the accent switches too that you're doing you're really putting <laughs> yeah, me in this I'm story a clown with all of that <laughs> now there's a couple of segments that i want to get to um and one of them is a signature of the show all right but first i need supernatural's top five musical influences of all time Time five musical. Well, I kind of said it before. Slick Rick taught me how to tell stories. KRS One taught me how to rock a stage. Rock Him taught me knowledge of self. Big Daddy Kane taught me lyrical content. And Run DMC taught me how to market myself as well as be 
you know, fashionable and and straightforward. Those are those those are just five of my influences. But I hate those kind of questions because for me, hip hop as a whole itself, if you were dope, I learned so much. Like brand Nubians and Pharaoh, like a lot of people don't know, Pharaoh March and Organized Confusion produced two of my first singles, Never Heard by the World. You know, I got so many, you know, so many people. So I always say hip hop as a whole. And then you kind of single me out when you said hip hop, because I have to go back to the funk and soul era, too. You know, I was inspired by brass construction, you know, musical influence. Oh, just musical. Musical influence. Oh, I mean, influence. man, because I, I'm not going to go and ask. Give me your top five MCs. That's been I'm talking about. I want to know your musical. Influences. I, I would definitely say. James Brown was definitely a musical influence. Um, Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five, Prince, you know, that's what I mean. When you're such an avid fan of music itself, it's hard to narrow it down. I could say ACDC was, a, you know, an influence. But, but we Led all have Zeppelin. those that, you know, and, we kind of gravitate more often i've too. never been like that I, I like i mean personally i can name those five because i can put it into story form but when you are a fan of life you know you learn to love it absolutely yeah so i'm a fan of music so i learned to love it as a whole okay and i take my bits and pieces and my diamonds and jewels but i i mean you always know what's the best of the best i mean i was born in a great era man was born in the seventies, lived through the eighties and nineties. Come on, fam! Like, yeah, you know, I absolutely. seen the illest shit of all. You know, I lived through the crack era, and I'm still here to talk about it. You know, I I I lived through the seventies with my mother and watched the world change. So that's why I have so much to talk about, so much to rhyme about. You know, that's the other thing. If you ain't been through shit in life, you really don't have a lot to say. That's why the music is it lacks a lot of substance. You 17 years old, jumping around on stage. What the fuck you want to talk about? Turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up. Dad. You know? Dad, bitch. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then this is something that I that we ask everyone, not just you. I don't want you to think I'm putting you on the spot. I hope it's not an acapella freestyle. But I need I your do bottom that. five. My oh wow! Your bottom five, your I top five are cool. I don't but your like bottom dude. five really oh, lets me know. Man, my bottom five. We're super nasty. Stands. Musical don't like. It's just like garbage. You're you're just you've always thought so. You just not with it. You don't get it. Your bottom five. Young Thug is garbage as shit. Super garbage. Panda Designer is garbage as shit. Super garbage. Make sure they hear that shit too. And then I give no fucks right, right now. If you could text them, text them. Little Uzi Vert <laughs> is fucking super garbage because he was on there. They put a premiere beat on me. He said, I don't rhyme to that. Did you I see the I disappointment on it? Like, like that? Ebro's face, even Ebro. Like, and Ebro gave him a pass. Yeah. But I know Ebro really didn't like that shit either. So, you know, shit like that is trash to me. Future is trash. I don't get that kind of music. And it, to me, I don't under, I mean, we all love the party. Don't get me wrong. But if somebody's rhyming like this at a time and a time and a time and a time and a time, that shit sounds retarded to me. I'm sorry. So if you want me to give you your bottom, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, my bottom, bottom because like, I can't even look back on somebody like, like, 
I remember when Young MC was out. I used to think Young MC was whack. But hell no, Young MC isn't whack because look at where his music was still based from. Even though he wasn't the illest rapper, he still had a sample-based song. It had a mass appeal quality to it. It still wasn't that garbage. I hear people nowadays like, sometimes I'm ashamed when I'm standing somewhere and there's an older person there and a car might drive by and say, I put my dick in the mouth and you know that I fucked it. And after I fucked it, I threw off the rubber. You know, like, it's just so easy yeah, to yeah. say that retarded ass shit. And they go, oh, my God, that's hard. Fire. All of that shit is nonsense. Take the blinders off. Stop taking the fucking dope and start to understand that the media and the record labels will always sell you what they want to sell you. Use the power of discernment, people. If you can hear my voice in this podcast wherever you are in the world today or when you hear it on the playback, use the power of discernment and don't be an idiot. Go search out the good music. It's there. It's there for the take. And there's a lot of young MCs that are out there doing it, like the underachievers and the Flatbush Zombies. And they get a little turnt, too. But then at the same time, they know the roots of where the music comes from. You know, Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole. You know, the pro era, all, all of those dudes. Even there was a couple of dudes in the ASAP mob. Like I was watching the other day, uh, I was showing my wife one video and I can't think of his name, but his whole video is styled like a video from the nineties. Even the way he's moving in the video, he's mimicking Method Man and Method Man's actually in the video. And, um, it, it, it's just, it takes you, it's a throwback to that era and it just made me feel good to see youngsters doing that even though the clothes that they had on it's uh you you mentioned pro era i'm a huge joey badass fan and he has a, a track called christ conscience and i was like yo that's a young odb just his movements he had the he had the timbos on and he has the, i mean he's just like yeah he's moving around he's from brooklyn and, and he's using the same like he's using the same styles the same movement and i'm like that's dope i was watching that is tight i'm watching him one night and, you know, Joey is a very well-studied cat in the 90s. Loves it. And uh, he said, uh, he gave me a, he shouted me out of the reference. And I didn't, I didn't even catch it at first. And I went back. I was like, what did he just say? And I rewound it. And he said, uh, something, something. I'm fast style. Natural Disaster, you rappers. Natural Disasters was the name of my first album. I was super natural disaster, you rappers. And I was like, Damn. Wouldn't even have thought Shorty heard that. And and that's why Primo fucks with them. And that's why him with Primo, he sounds so good. Just He just has the soul. He has that 90s feel. By the way, flow. speaking of Primo, um, just so everybody knows, too, Super Nat has been hard at work. We got so much into the past that we don't talk about the present. Now, before I get out of here, and I don't know how much time I got left. You got time. You got time. To okay, so I don't want to get so far stuck back in the old stories to not talk about what oh, I'm doing. Oh, oh, yeah, we got to talk about you some know, new stuff. But, yeah. um, I'm killing the beats right now, you know. You got to get you gotta get on the uh, on that, uh, what's that series he has? Oh, you're talking about Rhythm Roulette? No, 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 no. He had Rascast. He had Bumpy Knuckles on. He had Papoos on. He, uh, that. You talking about Premiere? Out of, yeah, out of headquarters. He did it out of headquarters. He has a series. Oh, of, I'll talk to him. Videos. I, you know I, what I'm I'll talking talk about? To we were just in, we were just in Rome together. So it was nice. I got to see Primo. And yeah. We hung out for a little bit. Yeah. And I went and watched him play later yeah. on that night. He killed shit as usual. Nice. But, um, yeah. So you do some Primo work. 
Well, no, I'm doing beats. I'm not working with Primo on anything. I mean, that's the ultimate. We're ultimately working towards that. But uh, I'm doing my own shit, and I'm so comfortable okay. with it. All right. You know, I'm, I'm producing stuff. I've been producing for a long time. I'm right. just now comfortable with saying that I'm doing it. Oh, you have it? Have you released stuff? I have a full album that I've done. Um, Maybe one day I could set up another interview where we just have a listening party and I come Hell up to B side yeah, and I could dope. bang some new joints. Yeah. Maybe I could bring the drum machine in live and actually do something different that's never been done here. You know, here how, how, you know how, you, how, much, how many minds it would blow on if you did that at a show? That, like, I you just did like lo- supernatural, boom, and you do your thing and then you get behind it. You get the drum okay, machine. Okay, so this is what we'll do. We'll set the drum machine up. Y'all got me on here. We'll set the drum machine up live on this table. And we'll do 30 minutes of intimate hanging out with Super Nat, talking Damn, about the yeah. samples, how the beats are made, just to, just to chill with the audience. If this is a way, another conduit for me to reach the people, then I'm going to reach the people. Beautiful you know? thing. All right, we'll, set, we'll definitely set that up. I like that. Yeah. Let's talk about now. <clears throat> so now, where we're at now. Through all of the evolution, the ups and downs, you know, moving out to Los Angeles to be part of Rock the Bells and Rock the Bells kind of dissolving into what it dissolved into, um, I evolved as an artist. That's how I became a better producer, a better visual artist. I am actually have a 26-piece art show that's coming up real soon that's going to be all curated through Freestyle MC, and I have beats to go with each painting. Um you know, what kind of painting are we doing? Oh man, it's kind of hard to describe. Uh, it's it's a throwback to an old African Aboriginal type of style because, as everybody knows, you know I'm very much into my culture. So um, it's dot work. I do thousands and thousands of tiny mm. little dots, and uh, it almost looks like beads. Almost, it's very tedious. But doing something so tedious only opens up those chakras in the brain. You know, even more. So um, that's like one that. of the things yeah. that I'm doing. So the beats, the painting, and then I'm also working on a African-based clothing line called Afrofly. And um, basically, it's like uh, I'm taking the fabrics of Africa and turning them more into what I would wear. Not that I don't wear them as, as they are. I, I love them that way, too. But I'm, I wanted to put a little flavor on it. So, you know, imagine like a, a hoodie, you know, flipped out of African material in a particular way. So, and like it's not that. just for African people. Afrofly will be for everybody. And, and are you going to have a, a showcase of the paintings and everything? Oh, absolutely. We're actually, me and a few other people right now, my, my team that's helping me. Um, we're trying to put together and find the right venue in, in downtown LA. I was just going to tell you, I work with Abstract Rude. I do a different radio show with Abstract Rude and we do it at a, uh, Aline Gallery mm-hmm. down there in Sherman Oaks area. Okay. A beautiful art gallery. You want, we can link you up. You guys talk all right. and all that. It's, Definitely. It's beautiful space, we're just looking beautiful for a area. space and we really need help to promote the art show because, uh, I actually did, uh, an art show in New York called Scholosophy. Shout out to the Lyricist Lounge and the people that threw that particular show. But uh, it was actually a great idea. It was called Scholosophy, and everybody that was on the bill put three paintings in to the show. Um, it probably was like 50 or 60 pieces of art all together. 
maybe maybe less. I'm not sure. But um, anyway, it was a way that artists got to get together, perform, and show the other side of their talent. Believe it or not, man, there's a lot of MCs out there that are ill artists. I was going to mention Charlie Tuna. Yeah, that's one of my best friends in the world. You, right so you know, Charlie Tuna, amazing artist. If you go to charlietuna.com, you'll be able to see his art. Oh, yeah. And I've all seen, that good I've stuff. seen all that I, stuff. I, I, Me I and Charlie have been it. friends forever. Yeah, I'm a huge Charlie Tuna fan, like forever. Have you had him up here yet? I've, we're working it out. I, I heard he was on tour. Yeah, he's but, gone right now, but we yeah. could get him up here. I talk to Charlie all Dude, the time. Dude, I would. Be, he's on. He's on the list. You're on the list. I, you know, well, you might help. not believe this. I have a physical list that I wrote on legal paper, and it's and it's and it's there, and it, the names are. Called. I'm gonna show it to you before. We're gonna get Charlie show. up here for you. Oh, for sure. that'd be a beautiful thing. I'll work. I'll help you work on that. <laughs> that won't. Be All right. Hard. So you got the art. You got the producing. Things are going good for now. Yeah, I mean, um, I finished my first album almost three years ago now. My lady gets mad at me because I didn't put it out immediately, but I didn't have the right conduit to put it out. I felt right. like I just didn't want to put it out for free at first. So um we're actually looking to to put the album out now, which what happened was the evolution happened. After, that was my first time ever trying to go in the studio and put together a whole record. So um by myself, you know, outside of the engineer. Shout out to LD, you know. For helping me technically sound, he was the engineer on that whole Shout thing. Shout out to LD, man. Shout out to Ariano, LD, Ariano, LD, you know, Filiano, the yeah. whole fam. Absolutely. Shout out to all those cats. But um, they were the ones that, you know, allowed me to use the studio and gave me a place to facilitate my ideas. So, you know, that was one thing. But now the evolution has came. So, you right. know, we're getting ready to put out a new album. Ramona released the album that I recorded. Did just so everybody can say they have Supernatural's first self-produced project. You know, I would definitely still want to put that in the world. And then we're um we're teaching, we're working. When with, can we expect the album? I don't know yet, man. We don't have a set date because the new stuff I'm really focusing on now. All the new beats is like what I'm really focused on. If you want, y'all can go check out. I got some beat snippets up on Instagram at MC Supernatural. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Supernat. You know, if y'all want to, you know, just stay in touch and try to keep up with what I'm doing. But uh these are the things that I'm doing, working with kids as well, you know, trying to teach the verbal self-defense program to the world. Cause Tell me about that. The verbal self-defense program is something that started from a book that I read almost 20 years ago, and uh it's called The Gentle Art of Verbal Self-Defense by Suzanne Gazette. And... um it's a book basically teaching you how to arm yourself in the world through articulation, but also being able to recognize when you're being attacked through articulation. Because a lot of people don't understand when they're being verbally bashed. Pass- Spoken down to. Passively, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Okay, see, a lot of people don't understand. You have to know when you're being attacked with words. So... The Verbal Self-Defense Foundation or the program is really lended to teaching kids articulation and literacy through music. Because if you can't read, then you can't write. And if you can't write, then you can't be literal. So, you know, I want to try to bring that aspect. There's so many people teaching so many other things, but I don't think that there's a lot of kids walking around out here that can only read at a second or third grade reading level. And they're 18, 19 years old. 
you know, so that's what the verbal self-defense program is teaching you how to defend yourself verbally, whether it's in the workplace or when you go to get a job. You know, you can't walk in to go get a job. And go, Yo, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Me and my man's name. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's yeah. no, that's not verbal self-defense. Going in and articulating yourself and sitting straight up and talking to a person a certain way. That's verbal self-defense, you know. Or when he might say something derogatory across the table and you might not be able to understand that, that's an attack on your character. So that's what verbal self-defense is, and I try to teach that through music. I like that. Yeah. I'm with that. Is there anything else you want to <clears throat> talk about before we go to our final segment? Um, if anything, I would just like to say to the world, man, is that, and you know, not to sound corny or anything, music is for life. And life is for living. And if you allow music to be the soundtrack to your life and not a detriment to your life, then you can only elevate. That's why incredible music marks incredible moments in your life. You know the first song you heard right before you got your first piece of booty. You know the first song you played in your first whip when you got your first car and you wanted to bang it. I got my first whip. See, these marks, these, these mark times and moments. So I say this to young artists, make those type of records. I don't think nobody's going to be singing, I fuck up some commas 30 years from now. I really don't. But I know that somebody will still be singing, move the crowd. Or check out my melody walking up the hallway, whistling in somewhere. I know that'll happen. So these are the defining moments of what music really should be. Let music define an era, not the fucked up part of the era. You know, let it be defining. Write some records that make change. You know, Marvin Gaye and Prince, Michael Jackson, and Whitney Houston. and I mean, I'm just naming a few. You know, James Brown. Gladys Knight, all of these great artists, they wrote records that were defining moments in history. Even through all through the 90s with hip hop, there was records that defined moments. Whether it was Time for Some Action by Redman or whether it was Cream by the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, The Bridge is Over by BDP, you know, uh, how many MCs must get dissed by Black Moon? All of these songs mark an era, and you can draw a time in your head. We go. I remember when I was with my homeboy, and we was riding, and I was listening to. And that's that's what music should be to me. So, like, in asking me if there's something that I could say to all artists out there, especially young artists, I'm not speaking to the people that know better. Is take responsibility for what comes out your mouth. And understand that there's a greater mission than self. If you have the ability to speak to 50,000, 60,000 people, even if it's just one jewel for one minute and you go back to your trap shit, then try to do that because... When you say the thing about color earlier... Just to go back to that, it's mostly black kids that are out there acting like that, jumping around and being foolish and tight pants hanging off their ass and every other picture is you with a 
codeine bottle with soda and a spliff in your hand. It's no disrespect to that lifestyle, but you can't live like that forever. And that shit is killing us. So please have a little bit of respect for yourself. Have a little bit of integrity for your music and understand that you are teaching the next generation. So that's that's what I have to say to that. You it's know? a beautiful thing. So the final segment of the show, think about it like a boxing match. Some I like to call 12 rounds. So the way it works is I'm going to ask you 12 questions. Okay. Each more difficult than the last question. If you answer all 12 questions honestly, you're the champion, you walk away with the belt. If you cannot answer the question, or you will not answer the question, you will be knocked out. I'm the champion, and I get your hat. Well, you can't have a hat. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say the ring, but I dare not. I got to keep keep that watch. Well, you might have a problem with my wife for that one. You wanted to play 12-round Supernatural? We're going to have to find something else to give up. You can have this bottle of water. I get that bottle of water signed by Supernet. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, you rhyme? Are you an MC? Yes, I do. Yeah, I'll absolutely. do a beat for you. Oh. Oh, you'll do a beat for me. If, yeah, I, oh, if not, you win. Oh, I'm not going to win, though, because no Even one wins. Even if you don't win, I might <laughs> still right, I appreciate you it. Appreciate it. Just because you've been a great host, too. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah. So, you willing to play 12 rounds, Supernatural? 12 rounds. Let's go. Round number one. What is your favorite part about your craft? Stand, rocking the stage. I'm going to keep them short and sweet. Round number two. What is your least favorite part about your craft? Annoying fans. <laughs> annoying fans. Uh, uh, annoying. How annoying. annoying do they get? Like, well, give me. The drunken, the drunken fan. That comes up with the wet towel. Be on my podcast, Supernatural. No, with the wet. No, no, the drunken fan with the wet towel that smells like he drank like a whole case of beer, and he asked you to sign a wet towel with a sharpie. You know, like Uh, he don't have a sharpie. Yeah, and you got the sharpie, and he like, I can't (laughs) sign this. So wow, that would that that would be my least favorite. Very specific memory. (laughs) (laughs) No, that I remember this very specifically. Disgusting. <laughs> Round number three. If you could collaborate with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? If I could collaborate with anyone, dead or alive, I would have to say Prince. Mm. And the reason I say Prince, it, that was hard now. Don't get me wrong. Prince was a funky motherfucker. And he really understood music. So to collaborate with somebody like that would have ultimately been amazing. And it's funny because at one point, that almost could have happened. I actually had the... That's what I say, man. I got so much shit that I could tell you. We got to do part two. I performed at Prince's Club. I actually went to Prince's Club and, you know, with Tretch and Peter Paul and a whole bunch of other cats. So, you know, we got to perform at the spot and my stupid ass decided to stay at home the night prince invited us to his house stay in the hotel i always regret that one and i always call myself a dummy but anyway (laughs) yeah that would probably be somebody that i would want to collab with i like that round four all right round five four that was three i'm sorry round four what are you most proud of for round four 
my son and my two grandbabies. I think that's one of my greatest accomplishments on this planet is bringing another life into the world and watching that life birth two more lives, which extends my lineage. And there's two girls at that. So women have the ability to reproduce over and over again. So I'm good. It's a beautiful thing. I like that. Round number five, what are you least proud of? I can't say there's anything in my life that I'm least proud of because every hard lesson that I've ever had in this life has been something that's been a catalyst to something greater to make me a better person. So I can't say that there's anything that I'm least proud of because some of those most adverse moments is what make you into who you are. So the the things that I did that were less savory in life only taught me not to be that way now. Yeah. Okay. That's an answer. I'm with that. I'm with that. Round number six, what is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is God, the creator himself. And that's not even a fear. To be quite honest, fear is probably one of the most crippling attributes that you can have so let me not say god the only thing that i fear is nature because nature sustains us but just as well as it sustained us it can destroy us but the one thing that we're all guaranteed in this world is life and death so what should you truly fear in between because it only makes you crippled it makes you paralyzed I used to be fearful of things, but as you grow on the road of mastery, that's something that you have to gain control of, you know? So I don't really fear too much. I can't say that. Okay. I'm I don't even want to put that on myself. I'm with that. I'm with that. Round number seven, who would you take a bullet for? My son, my grandbabies, my mama, my wife, my brothers. Even a man on the street, if he was righteous enough, and I thought that he deserved saving and I knew that he was an innocent person, yeah. Because that's just what you should do. For the people that brought you life, you should be willing to always put your life on the line. And the people that bring joy to your life, if it's true joy, you should always be ready to put your life on the line. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why it's good for the last question to not have fear. Because if you was fearful, then you wouldn't put your life on the line. So that's what I told you. I like it. Round number eight. Who would you let that bullet hit? Nobody. I'm not saying supernatural shoot someone. That's not what I'm saying. There's a bullet flying through the sky. She's not going to sweat if dude getting you, you know. know. Who would I let it hit? I'm I'm not saying saying you make it it hit. I'm saying you just don't, don't, you don't jump in front of dude. Who would you not jump in front of for that bullet? Oh shit! I wouldn't jump in front of a bullet for Hillary Clinton and none of them motherfuckers. <laughs> okay, you know I wouldn't jump. So you you had a rally. You know what? But see, but once not. again, in my thought process of universal thinking, I might even still have to save her nasty ass. Because if I'm truly a man of righteousness and power. And this is a tough one. You you gave me a tough well, one. Well, well, you th- saying who th- would I let a bullet hit? That still allow uh, if if I have the power to prevent anybody from dying, that's my duty to do that. 
I can't look at you and go, you was an evil motherfucker. I'm going to let you die. You know, you might have another little light inside of you that might turn on to be something else later. So I, that was, that's kind of like a yeah, loaded question. Yeah, but if they're question. 57, that, that light's not going to turn on, bro. I mean, if there's, if they're, 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 I mean, I just put her out there. I mean, I could, there's a few people that I wouldn't jump in front of a bullet for. I mean, and most of them are politicians, I need, I need but, you know. Who would you not jump in front of that bullet for? A pedophile. There you go. See? I mean, that's, <laughs> and you fill in the blanks there. There you go. But, okay. Um, no, see, this is, this is the, this is, um, so somebody asked me like, uh, if you met your, cause I've never met my dad. Like, if you met your dad, uh, would you forgive him for leaving you? Right. And I told him, I remember telling, and again, just instinctively, I told him, I don't know if it's up to me to forgive him. No, so, it's up for him to forgive himself. Right. Like, hit me sitting down and having a conversation with him. It's only going to make him feel better. And I don't know uh, that that would be the right thing to do on my half. Maybe he deserves to live with that. Watch Who this. am I to take that from him? Watch See this. See what I'm saying? We're going to take a pause in our 12-round bout because I can share something with you. Um. A dad is a precious thing, no matter if they weren't there. When they're not there, that's just their own idiosyncrasies and them being selfish, self-centered, and maybe wasn't even ready to become a father at the time. We never know what goes through their mind. But to have a heart of forgiveness is the sign of a true warrior. Because no matter where he ever goes in life, even if he didn't take care of you and he was a fucked up person, guess what? That is still part of your birthright. And in order to get through things in life, we can't harbor those things. You can't harbor that. That's just as much as it's just as bad as harboring fear if you harbor hate for your father for not being there. And taking from somebody that my daddy never told me happy birthday in my life. But I can still see the beauty in him. I can still see the wisdom in him and I can still see all of the great things that he is. Never forget that. Now, maybe you'll never see him in life. But if you do, you always have the upper hand because you'll always know that, hey, he missed out on one of the greatest guys in the world. And when you have that heart of forgiveness, that frees him to go on to the afterlife. Who wants to go to their grave knowing that you wasn't shit? Who wants to go to their grave like that? So see, sometimes it's for us to go, like I told you, I went and seeked my father out. I went and found him myself. Because that was a part of me that I needed to deal with. You know, I always knew where he was at. I could always go over there, but then that's what I did. When I found out where he was at, I made it my business to go there, even if he wasn't coming to me. I was that smart because I knew there was something still there. So I go ahead. I just wanted to <laughs> share because I could tell you brought your dad up several times, and yeah. I said, well, maybe this is your time to say something to him from experience. And it's weird because uh, I have – see, that's the thing, though. That's the thing. Like when you hate someone because there was actions there that caused you to hate them, but there were no actions there, so I don't hate them, but I don't love them. So I, but I don't care. Like people tell me, like you honestly shoot, you gotta work this out. I'm like, there's nothing to work out, bro. Do you like, know I have, where he's at? I yeah, I know where he's at, but I have no, 
no inkling of like, oh, I want to go sit. I want to tell him that, fuck you, or I want to tell him, why didn't you? I have zero interest in doing any of that. And I think that's a bigger punishment than someone hating you. It's someone not even it thinking is, about you, just dismissing you. But it's even better for you, for you to get off of your chest what you've held I, for so I, long. I know what you're thinking, but I don't think I'm holding on to I don't care. Like, it doesn't. Well, then you got to move on. It doesn't I thought I would tell life. you that because yeah. I, I have a story that was similar. Yeah. So I just tried to share that with maybe you. Maybe it does. Maybe I am. It brought closure to me. When okay. I finally said what I wanted to say to my father, because, see, you, it's still it's still there. That's why we're talking about it on my, yeah, on my I, interview I, I right now. So, that's, right. so yeah. it's still there. Yeah. This is a form of therapy, people. He's getting therapy from Supernat. But, no, all jokes aside. If I carried that for the rest of my life, I carried a scab on my body, is what I'm saying. And even though he's my pops, I don't give you the right to leave a scab on me. You understand what I mean? I do. And that's what I was. I was angry in that way. You don't have the right to leave me with this thought unanswered. On some man-to-man shit, you got to answer me. And that's really... Sometimes it's good to push men because maybe you're just the catalyst to make him think about what he did. You're only 30, so he ain't that he ain't that old. <laughs> if my calculations is right in my head, yeah, you still got the ability to make babies. Don't do that dumb shit again and leave another man in the world for a woman to raise. That's why a lot of dudes is out here fucked up. That's why the music sometimes is the way it is. Kids come from a lot of broken homes. Like you said, hip-hop raised you. Well, imagine if hip-hop in the streets raised you. You don't look like you was out there doing nothing too wild, but w- imagine a kid like that. I, because hip-hop raised me, I wasn't out there. And that's I was good. home with the headphones. That, was, that was all childhood. Escape. Entire childhood. Escape. And it was. And you know what? And then it's also times that I think, well, you know what? Maybe... I'm glad that I didn't have him because then maybe hip hop wouldn't have been so predominant in my life. It right. wouldn't have been such a moving force for me to do things. So well, for look, even that, well, guess what? you know, that's a grateful thing. Thanks, daddy. <laughs> there you go. Shake his hand. Thank him for That's it. why I said every pitfall in life has a brighter lesson. So now you might be able to go back to him and go pop. You know what? You made me into one of the illest dudes because you were absent. That'll hit it. That'll hit hard. That'll break a rib when it hits. So, okay. On with the fight. I, like I think I just won. I think Look we can you. stop <laughs> now. I won. Give me my belt. <laughs> what round was that? Well, that was with five. No, no, we were like a, It was like nine, right? No, yeah. Number eight. Who would you take? Seven. Who would you take a bullet for? Number yeah. eight. Who would you like that bullet hit? Round number nine. Doing pretty good. Last three. You ready? I'm ready. <clears throat> round number nine. Who would you never work with for round number nine? As like, an artist? Like ever work with. Hmm. Who would I never work with? That's interesting. Man. As an artist. As an artist. Hmm. Let's go as an artist. <laughs> it's just so many dudes that I could just easily say a name. It's almost unfair. Like... <laughs> You can't 
You can't choose one name. That's the problem right now. That's exactly. <laughs> I got a the list of motherfuckers that I wouldn't want to work Whoever, with. Ever though, like ever, ever work with. I, I mean, Young Thug is really annoying to me, and I hate to keep going back to him, but it's something so, about him. So that, Young Thug hits you on the cell phone. Supernat. I got fifty thousand dollars. No, no, no. I got Prince. Long last uh, vinyls, and I and I and I mix it, and I cut it, and I chop. I got Prince here. I want you on the verse. Fuck you, young dog. <laughs> Enjoy your Prince. Okay. Like, you pass You pass the test. All right. Yeah. I, I figured if Prince was involved, you'd be like, oh, shit. Like, nah. No, okay. Not no. even Prince could get me to work with young thug. <laughs> Not even. Uh, uh, I'm serious. statement. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't even do that for Primo money. Primo on the scratches. I, I, he would have to sit down. He would have to sit in the room with me for a week and detox before I would fuck with him. <laughs> He have to show you some real progress. No, de- literally, <laughs> mentally, spiritually detox. Like I would Ugh. have to put you through the chamber, the, right? The right. bounce squad shit and <laughs> switch your shit up. But no, nah, okay. that would be it. All right, I like that. Round number ten. You actually got ahead of me a little bit, but maybe not. Round number ten. Supernat, do you believe in God? Yeah, of course I believe in God. I'm God. I'm one of the gods. I'm a walking God on this planet, but do I believe in a God that's greater than I am? Of course I do. If God said that he created us in his image and his likeness, then that makes me a God on earth, not the exalted God. Um, when it comes to religious beliefs, there's one thing that I believe in over religion, and that's nature. Because nature is the binder and the glue for all religion. You take away nature, you don't get to the mosque, the synagogue, you know, the cathedral. You can't make it to any of these places if the sun blots out the sky Mm. or you don't have air. So the Muslim man shares the same air as the Christian man. The Christian man shares the same air as the Buddhist and so on and so forth. So that's why I say, you know, I always let people know I'm a universal thinker. You know, I grew up in a Pan-African household. I grew up in a very uh, culturally forward type of environment. So when you ask me, do I believe in God? I believe in myself because I'm one of God's greatest creations, correct? And nature is housed in my body. The body radiates at 95 degrees, right? So there's fire. We're made up of 85% of water. There's the water. You know, when we die, we go back to earth. There's the earth, you know. So why not be in tune with nature to be in tune with the ultimate rhythm of God? Because that's how dynamic he was. He just didn't make black birds. That's why humans are so limited in their thinking. If that was the case, we'd only have one species of everything on earth. There'd be one black bird. There'd be one group of white folk. No, it's a variety. So when you ask me, do I believe in God? I believe in God's greatest creation, and that's myself and this planet. And I believe that if you respect those things on this planet, you can reach a God-like consciousness. We all need to try to do that a little bit more. When's the last time you stopped and smelled the flowers? Or sat under a tree and watched the way the ants crawl up the tree and the way they crawl back down. You can learn a lot by looking at nature about yourself. So, yes, I do believe in God. It's a beautiful thing. I like that. 
It's good. Last two rounds. <clears throat> Round 11. What is your biggest insecurity? What are you but, most insecure about? See, since I've been such a work at progress, I mean, a, 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 a work in progress, excuse me. Um, my biggest insecurity. And I don't know if this is considered an insecurity or not, but not being able to provide for my family. I don't know if that's a insecurity sure, or, yeah, or not, but not being able to provide for the people that I love. The doubt of being able to. Yeah, but see, then that reverts back to fear. Yeah, that's, a, the, that's why I didn't go fear. Because fear, I think, doubt are a little bit different. Yeah, so, you know, I would probably say that's probably one of the only things. And I'm not even insecure with that anymore because, you know, when you... When you're growing up, there's a lot of things you're insecure. I used to be insecure about my weight. I used to be insecure that people didn't think I could write rhymes. There was a lot of things I was insecure with. But as you start to evolve on this journey as a spiritual person, you have to realize in order to get to where you got to go, you got to let those insecurities go. You got to let that luggage go. You got to let all of that stuff that you was carrying with you for all of those years in order to evolve. The universe is not going to grant your wishes if we stay in a world of insecurity, anguish, pain, frustration, fear, doubt, jealousy, all of the all of the deadly things that we do as human beings. So insecure, uh, just maybe not being able to provide. But because I've been through those things. I'm still providing. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know. Last and final round. Supernatural, thank you for coming through. Ah, man. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor getting to know you a little better. Ah, You're more than welcome definitely. back whenever you'd like. Oh, no, we're going to come back and do oh, some music because today was more a talking thing. Yeah. But um, I would love to bring the drum machine back through and have a night here on either B-Side Radio or Wake the Flock Up, whichever one, I pref you know, preferably with you. Right. And uh, we come back through and... We set it off the right way, you know, and I can introduce we, some of the music a, to the world. A lot of uh, really good artists coming up next month. If you want to just stop by, say what's up to any of them, you're more than welcome to. Absolutely. Come by, say we'll what's up, slap hands, all that good stuff. Uh, again, thank you for coming through. It really meant a lot to me, and I learned a lot. I can't wait for part two. Absolutely, you gotta man. do it. There's so, still a lot more stuff to there talk is. about. There is. I think you have to just just stories with Supernat. Oh man, it's a dictionary. I'm really hoping one day that uh I could write a book. You know, and, and just kind of leave that with the world of the things that I've been privy to experience from, you know, touring with KRS-One to being at the Gavin and seeing the Wu-Tang for the first time. And, you know, then later on being great friends with them and, you know, just all of the stuff that I was able to do, you know. Seeing Grandmaster Kaz on the train for the first time sleep, you know, on the train. Like, it's just so many great stories that I have to share with the world. So hopefully, like, uh, I'll be able to put that in a book and, you know, share that with the world. But I like that. coming soon, man. A lot of things in the work. And final round. All right. Round 12, Supernatural. Why? You said what? I'm sorry. Why? Why supernatural? Why is my question. Why? 
because I love it. And if I didn't love it, then I wouldn't do it. And if I wasn't doing it, then the world wouldn't have Super Nat. And if hip-hop didn't have Super Nat, I just don't think it wouldn't be right. So that's why. There you go. Beautiful thing. You're yeah. the champion. There you are. Where's my belt? <laughs> Where's my belt at, man? Super Nat, man. It's been a complete pleasure and honor sitting with you, man. Hey, man. It was good. Privilege. It was good. It, you, yeah. you, one thing I will say is when people usually tell me that they don't have questions written down, I'm, I usually I cringe. But um, obviously, you've been doing this long enough, and I made you just as comfortable as you made me. Absolutely. It was, so it, what, I, what I, I don't have questions written down because I'm a fan. So these questions they've been piling up. These things this I've been wondering. This is stuff you didn't want to ask. <laughs> I, look, you know, you know Rocker. I had Rocker in front of me, and I was like grilling that dude. And I'm asking him questions about shit that happened 20 years ago. Like, yo, all right, the beef with Eminem. All right, you gotta break it down for me, bro. He's like, damn, console, that's freaking forever. I, I was on the bus with them. See when that happened, there I was on go. the bus. You I was see? on the bus with Ev every night, and he was on his little phone and, oh shit, they're talking shit. I was there the whole time. That's what I mean. It's like yeah. I've been around a lot of shit when it went down, bro. And that's the true essence, and I think that's what makes this show different. Is I'm a fan, and you guys raised me. So these are things that uh, I've just been waiting to ask you. I've just been waiting to get to know where is this from? Where did this happen? Where did this come from? I've, I've seen you do this and I want to know how and I want to develop to feed the little hip hop, the little b-boy inside of me. Absolutely. But be able to provide something new to hip hop by having been involved in this, at least as a fan. But now I get to find out from you specifically well, from the source definitely today was probably one of the coolest interviews i've had in thank you brother I quite a while that. and i normally don't get that open but you know i hope that people can vibe what i said tonight and find something out of it that is credible something that you can take if if anything else and um i just want to thank y'all for having me up here again i want to shout out my son got a new record coming out very soon it's called clear conscience mixtape coming out his name is haji conscience i want y'all to check him out he's on uh facebook at haji conscience so uh if if any of you hear him tonight uh shout him out give him a hit tell him um that super Nat's pops told me to drop through and check in on you nice. he has a lot of videos up there and a little bit of music up there and maybe i can even come to uh wake the flock up and break his record for the first would, time here on the radio bring him through we'll i got i got some real him. heat for you he and he's not out here right now but i definitely think maybe in the next couple of weeks when i come back or whenever i decide to bring the drum machine through i want to play a couple of his records on the air absolutely you so know. now you having a sat with me you're an official wake the flock up artist that means you get lifelong uh, promotion from us so right. anything you want to promote let us know we'll put it up on the website absolutely. we'll put it up on all the pages and sites and work with you on whatever you need to get promoted and that's offered to all the artists that have ever Help me reach my goal, my dream. Mm -hmm. I'm more than uh, in your debt for that. So you come back anytime you like, promote anything you want. All gravy, brother. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me through. Man. So for Supernatural, for the B-Side Show, for just the history, the pleasure of just artists that have been with us and, and been, I've been lucky to sit with for real hip-hop everywhere. This is Concept 714 asking you, demanding that you help us. Wake the flock up. Wake up.
You are now tuned into the Wake the Flock Up Network.